You're listening to The Sick Room Show, episode number 304. In this episode, I talk to Marsha Shandur about how to connect to your dream client through storytelling. Welcome to The Sick Room Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. On today's episode, I speak to Marsha Shantur, who is a storytelling coach. She shows entrepreneurs, executives, and creatives how to make emotional connections with their dream clients by telling their personal stories. She's been featured in Forbes, BBC, and Mashable, and now she's on The Sigrun Show. Go to sigrun.com for 304, and there you find links to Marsha Shandur and the show notes of this episode. I am so excited to be here with Marsha Shandur, who I have known for, what is it? Six years. Six years, over six years. Well, we've known each other as a Facebook friends. We haven't done a call like this before, so that's quite exciting. And it was interesting because we were both looking for our business idea six years ago. We had no idea what we were doing, but we were interested in online business. So <laughs> I, actually, I actually thought I was going to be a wedding DJ. <laughs> that was one of my business ideas because <laughs> I'd done it for friends before and then somebody put me in touch with someone and as soon as it was like a stranger paying me money I was like oh I do not want to do this at all. <laughs> it's fun when it's low pressure but this is not yes yes I know I was doing a lot of photography and I would even photo- you know, take pictures for a wedding of a friend and I was doing it for free but he sent me a checklist the wedding cake the kiss and everything I was like I thought I was just bringing my camera along and <laughs> I have this pressure now. So no, no, I'm not going to be a photographer. So yeah, no, you went somewhere else. So share from having no idea to uh, the idea that you kind of figured out six years ago and still still do today, right? You still have this. So no, I, I, I switched it a year or two in because when I started, I had no idea. And then... People would say to me, and actually even before that, I didn't know I was going to start a business until the day I signed up for B-School, the course that you and I both did. And then, you know, even doing that, I was like, oh, I don't know. And, and people were saying, what are you good at? And I was saying, I'm really good at teaching 21-year-old boys how to get jobs in radio. Because I used to mentor, I worked in radio as a DJ for a long time, and I mentored students. And I, they would say, and I would say, you know, I teach them how to network, how to make friends in their industry and follow up with people. And they said, well, why don't you do that for your job? And I kind of looked at them and said, 21-year-old boys who want to get into radio don't have any money. And they were like, no, Marsha, why don't you do that for people who have money? <laughs> and I was like, really? It never, I used to corner people at parties to force them to listen to this information. It did not cross my mind anyone would pay money for it. But they did. So I got into that. So I was doing coaching and it was working with like entrepreneurs and artists and 
freelancers and anyway, so lots of different people. And then in the meantime, I started a storytelling show, a live storytelling show in Toronto where I live now. And and it was like a tiny little show, you know, three people came to the first one and one was my mum and one was my best friend. (laughs) The other one I think just came out of pity. But then it grew and I was coaching all of the storytellers beforehand. So I was sitting around and spending two or three hours with them. And it took me a while to figure out how to do it, but I started to think maybe I should do this for my job. Mm. So you were first basically helping with PR more in the beginning. So PR, but more like making friends in your industry. So like, how do you get the eye of the big shots? Like, how do you, you know, for the artists, it's like, how do they make friends with people in the galleries? How do they make friends with the people in the press? How do they make friends with other artists who are going to help them out? You know, for online entrepreneurs, it's like they're big business heroes online. How do they get those people's attention? For freelancers, I did a lot of free sessions for freelancers. They didn't pay me because it's not really in their culture too, which is something now I sometimes teach sales now. And one of the things I say is like, you might know that you can help this person, but if it's not in their culture to hire you, there's no point in trying to sell them because you, you have to convince them that it's worth paying money. And if they don't think it's worth it, they won't do it. But when I did work with the freelancer for free, it's like, how do they make contacts in, you know, whatever it is, the newspapers or the radio stations or whatever, so that those people, because as my sales coach that I eventually hired, Kendrick Shope likes to say, she's from the deep south. And she says, all things being equal, friends buy from friends. All things being unequal, friends buy from friends. And I think it's the same, you know, we do favors for people we have friendship relationships with rather than strangers. And so... And I, for years, thought that networking was this horrible schmoozy, brown nose, and oh, you're amazing, I'm amazing. And then when I realized what it was through just through getting a lot of really good jobs and then having people network with me, I was like, oh, it's just making friends. So it was kind of me talking about that. But in the meantime, coaching people on their stories. And at first, I couldn't figure out how to make money from it because I thought all I can do is just coach someone to tell a 10-minute story on stage. Like it felt very specific. But the reason why I knew there would be money in it, and this is what I think might be interesting if someone's still trying to figure out, you know, what it is they want to do or if it's the right thing, but was because there was a part of it where I didn't know how I did it and nobody else could do it. So I'd be sitting with a storyteller and we'd be stuck and we couldn't find a beginning or an ending. And I would say, look, I'm going to go to the washroom. I'm not going to think about this, but by the time I come back, I'll have an answer. And I would go to the washroom and I'd literally like grab a flyer on the way to read so that I could distract my brain. And then I'd come back and it was like my brain would go, here you go, Marsha, and just hand me the answer. And I thought, if I don't know how I do this, there must be money somewhere. (laughs) Because, you know, when you can learn how to do something, anyone can learn how to do something. But if it's something that just somehow comes so naturally to you and so subconsciously to you, and it doesn't for everyone else, I knew that it didn't because it didn't for the people I was working with, then there must be a way that I will get paid for this. And eventually I kind of then, again, I worked with all these, I hire people all the time, but I worked with all these mentors. I worked with Jonathan Fields who talked about a lot about the importance of telling your business story. So I kind of moved it into like, I'm going to help you tell your business story. And then what I realized about that is like, no one really cares about your story. Like it's nice, it's fun to get, it'll get you podcast interviews or guest blog posts. But in terms of clients, actually what they want is just stories that you can tell that they can really relate to. And those are very small moments and not, you know, that's less about narrative and more about emotion and feeling. And so now that's what I do. Now I can't, my, my work is split kind of 50, 50 between organizations and individuals and with individuals, I sometimes help them tell stories in their 
you know, like on their social media or in their blogs or in their newsletters as a way to have their potential clients feel like they're already friends because friends are from friends. Sometimes I work with speakers who want to tell stories as part of their talk. So I do kind of general speaker coaching. Sometimes we write the talk together, but usually it's they have some talk and then I'm, I'm making it clearer and using some of my communication skills and then also getting the stories really powerful. And then weirdly, I've started teaching people how to write sales pages because just like with the networking, I thought it was this awful gross thing where you're like, please buy my stuff or you'll fail. And I realized actually not even by telling stories, but just using some of my storytelling exercises, you can write language that shows your ideal customers that you get them. And more importantly, that it's okay to be where they are because they are not alone. And that way you can write a sales page that helps someone even if they don't buy from you. And the clients for that tend to be people who are kind of life coaches and people who are like, oh, sales, like it feels so pushy. And, and so if they can write a sales page that helps someone even if they don't buy from them, then they can feel good about it. And so that's what I do now. And then the other 50% is running storytelling workshops for organizations. And that was kind of a process of me reverse engineering, actually figuring out what it is that I do when my brain did the magic brain stuff, you know, is trying to figure out, trying to like break down, okay, what is it about a story and how do you tell a story? And then I studied theory of learning. And so I could come up with like good interactive workshops that are pretty fun where I get people to dress up in wigs and, run around, they, they reenact the Rocky training montage at one point. <laughs> and that's actually been like an interesting, the last couple of years, just doing stuff with organizations because I think the model, definitely the model that you and I learned first is like you do one-on-ones and then you have a group coaching program and then you have a course and that's the way that you scale. And actually I've realized that I still love working with people one-on-one and I still may do something as a group program, but if I go and work for an organization, I can earn the same running one three-hour workshop with like maybe a day's worth of prep, then, I mean, probably not even because as you do it, you're just tweaking it a little bit for the same amount of money as like having three clients for four sessions over four weeks. And so that feels pretty nice. Yes. One thing that I remember was your domain, which you still have today. Why did you pick this domain? So this is Yes, Yes, Marsha. I need to come up with a better story for this that isn't true. Because <laughs> my true story is that... My last name, Shandor, it's hard to spell, it's hard to pronounce. I knew I wanted a website that would be easy to find. And Hello Marsha was taken. And Hi Marsha, when it's all in one word, looks like him, ass, ha. And so I thought I can't have that. And then actually one of the one of the exercises we did in B-School was you had to ask people to say your three best traits. And one of mine was being positive. And literally, I, I checked all the social media and yes, Marsha was taken by someone on Twitter and it was like a tribute to their dead friends. So I felt like I couldn't really ask them to give it up. And so I just went, yes, yes, Marsha. And it served me so well because, I mean, it's silly and I'm silly and people remember it. And I have a little hand symbol that I stole from the village people, um, <laughs> which is just a little YYM. And now, you know, and it kind of gets people agreeing with you before they've even said your name, which is amazing. <laughs> Super smart. Yeah, I know. Total accident. And I see people and they're like, yes, yes, Marsha. And then people call themselves, you know, yes, yes, whatever. They often will sign their emails to me. Yes, yes. And then their name. Yeah, it's kind of worked out as a really nice thing. And when I first got the name, I showed it to a friend of mine. And he said, it sounds like they're like doing it with you. And I went, if they are, they're clearly having a really good time. And I'm okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So storytelling. Let's come to the main subject. 
I guess, you know, I know, and I think the listeners of this podcast have heard it before, that stories are something special. We are wired to listen to stories. And somehow, when you realize this, you are seeing that there are stories everywhere. But how do you come up with a good story? When you say, like, connecting, you know, and making your potential clients feel like friends, what kind of story is that? So here's the great news, because I think a lot of people hear, like, oh, storytelling, and it's all about story, and... And they panic and think, but I don't have any good stories. Or, you know, the story of my business, like, I didn't have a nervous breakdown or, you know, I didn't move to whatever, some exotic location and live out of a tent for six years. Like, I just worked in corporate and then decided I didn't want to work in corporate anymore and then started my business. And actually, the great news is two bits of great news. One is having a really exciting story is great. As I mentioned earlier, like, this will get you podcast interviews. This will get you guest blog posts. It's easier to pitch yourself press but when it comes to your clients the more like outrageous your story is the less they can relate to it potentially you know unless you only want to work with people who also lived in a tent for six years in some exotic location which is very niche audience and so if your story isn't that exciting that's cool because that means that your customers are going to go oh she gets me like she gets me and the other thing is when it comes to stories it's not about what happened it's about how you tell it I think when you need to worry about narrative is when you are telling a story at a storytelling show and that's all you're doing. But when it comes to telling a story in a speech, telling a story on your website, telling a story in your newsletters, it's all about the small moments. So if you think about movies, you know how in movies they have like sometimes it's voiceover, sometimes it's montage, sometimes it's action scene. But really, if you think about what a movie is made up of, it's mostly made up of action scenes. It's mostly everything happening in real time. And then they use the voiceover and the montage to get from one of those to the next. It's the same in a good story. You know, if I told you a story where I said, I went to uh, the North Pole and I met these three scientists and one of them was really interesting and I saw four different kinds of wildlife and we had a cool party one time and I did some studying and then I came back. You would be like, Okay. But if instead I said, okay, so it's Monday morning. And as I step outside my front door and hear it click shut behind me and feel the sun on my face, there's this pit of excitement in the bottom of my belly. And I think it's actually happening. And I put my hand in my pocket. The money is there. I am ready. And that's about me going to the corner store to buy a can of pop. It's about how you tell it. And the difference is the first one was montage and voiceover. It's just like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And you can't engage because you can't imagine what that's like. Whereas the second one was action scene. And so really you want to be telling action scenes. And if you want to tell a story, you know, a complete story with a narrative, that could be a, a number of action scenes, maybe a bit of voiceover and montage to get from one to the next. But if you're telling a story when you're teaching, you just really need one action scene. You don't need the stuff that comes around it because you just need people to get into your body and see what it looked like and feel the way that you felt. And so to do that, you're asking yourself two questions over and over. And one is, what did it look like? And two is, how did you feel? So what did it look like is basically... If there was a security camera in the room, describe the security camera footage. You know, and with that, every story we edit, so you don't have to say there was a table and it had a green lamp and then there was a box of tissues and then next to it was a candle. You know, we don't need absolutely everything, but it's like, what's the essential information we do need? And it's also, you know, what did it smell like? What did it sound like? Just describing that scene. And then how did you feel is just your emotion. And that is the most important part of any story because that is how people can relate to you. 
because maybe you've never sat and done a podcast with your friend of six years who lives in Switzerland while you're in Toronto, but you know how it feels to like have had a connection on Facebook and then get excited to meet them in real life. You know, you know how it feels to like do something that's really fun and talk about the subject you're passionate about. So if I talk about my emotions, if I talk about how exciting it is and how you know nice it is and that feeling of like when you recognize someone and you know they feel like an old friend even though you haven't hung out that much, people are like, oh, I can get that. You know, I can relate to that. And so again, when it comes to your story, it's not just about saying like, for example, like I worked in corporate, but then I decided I didn't want my job anymore. So then I quit and then I started a business. It's about saying, having that action scene of what it's like to be where your ideal client is right now. So say your ideal clients have had the same experience. It's about saying, you know, I sat at my desk and as my boss called out and said, oh, could you bring me that report by two o'clock instead of by next Tuesday? My heart sank and I thought, why am I doing this job? I hate it here. You know, and then people be like, oh, you get me. And that does a bunch of different things. And this is the same, you know, if you talk about it on your, on your about page or your sales page, then it does a bunch of different things. It says to people like, I am for you and I'm not for everyone. You know, I'm not for the person that like loves their job, but just wants a new challenge. That's not who I am. I'm for the person who hates their job. And it says, when you come to me and tell me how you feel, I'm not going to shame you for it. I'm not going to make you look stupid. I'm not going to go, oh, what's wrong with you? Why are you working a job you hate? Because I get it because I've been there. And so that's also really important. And then just the more we know about people, the more we like them. That's just a scientific fact. So when you can tell a story and somebody can really get a sense of what you're like through the ways that you respond to things, you know, the things you say and the ways you feel, then they'll feel like they know you better. Like, have you had that experience, Sigrun, with anyone that you say follow online if you've read their stories and you're like, oh, I know that person. Yeah, because I feel that they've gone through some similar experiences, even if it's just two, three stories. Right, right. But it sounds so simple the way you describe it. Just go into the action scene. It's so simple. And I think, you know, one of the big myths of storytelling is you're born with a skill or you're not. You know, you're a natural storyteller or you're not. And that's just not true. It's a set of rules that anyone can follow. I've been running my live show for six years. We have a two-year waiting list to tell a story. I have never turned away a single storyteller because I believe everybody has at least one powerful 10-minute story, if not more. Sometimes people come to me with one story and I say, I don't think that's your story. Let's find another one. But I never say, I don't think you're right for this show because everybody can do this. And I've had some people come to me who honestly, Sigrun, have been gong shows when they've brought me their stories. And then we've worked together and I've taught them the rules and then they followed the rules and then they've told amazing stories. And I feel like the, the reason you know that it's a set of rules is because we all have that one person in our life who they could tell any story and it's just fascinating. And equally, we've all been stuck next to that person at a party who we know did something interesting, but dear God, when will it end? And all that's happening is the first person is following those rules and the second person is not. That's all that's happening. You know, I feel like we also have all had that experience sometimes when you see someone speak and they're so good on stage and you're like, you're so boring in real life. <laughs> and it's because they, someone has clearly coached them to tell a story really well which is great because then they can learn the rules and start doing it in their everyday life. And so it's literally, you know, there's a few other things like always tell things in the chronological order they happen to you. Otherwise you're throwing in spoilers and then we don't care. So if you say, of course, at this point, I didn't realize they'd already given the job to you, sir. We stop caring about the interview you're in because we're like, eh, you're not going to get the job anyway. So don't throw in spoilers. Don't say at this point, I didn't realize X, Y, Z because you didn't realize it. So 
you kind of want to imagine that you're doing like a freaky Friday style body swap with yourself in that moment. And then you're just telling the story from that person's perspective. And you know, there's rules like that with emotions. There's different ways you can say your emotions. You can do internal monologue, you know, oh my gosh, why did I come here? And this is, and I knew that this place would be terrible. And now it is. So we know, you know, you're anxious. You can name the emotion. I felt very anxious. I felt very happy. Or you can say where you felt it in your body. That's an exercise that I do with clients in my workshops. I get them to close their eyes and imagine being in a place and start getting curious because every emotion has a corresponding feeling in our body. And if right now you're listening and being like, I don't know what emotion I feel. I don't know where I feel it in my body. Again, those are learned skills. You can practice those skills. You can pick something that you do several times a day and then every, you know, drinking a glass of water or going to the washroom. And every time you do, you can ask yourself, how do I feel right now? And where do I feel that? And you probably won't feel much of anything. It's honestly guesswork at the beginning. But the more you do it, the more attuned you become. I have a client who I love who's very expressive. She's a dancer. And I gave her that directive. And then she came back the next week and said, Marsha, you told me to ask you what my emotion is every time I go to the washroom. And it's always joy because I love urinating. <laughs> like something I can get behind okay but I would have thought that there is more structure to a story like beginning and end and you know that's the thing is I think if you're speaking on stage and just telling a story on stage absolutely you need to think about beginning and rising action and the climax and the ending but if you're trying to teach you know whether it's talk or whether it's a story online you can just describe the scene so for example I wrote a blog post once about what I had learned that I need to be doing around the Black Lives Matter movement. Because like most white people, I spent many years being like, I'm not actively racist, my work is done. And of course that's not true, there's lots that we need to do. But I hadn't found, I'd done a lot of research online and I hadn't found anywhere that sort of gathered all of the points together. So I decided I wanted to write a blog post about that, you know, which is not what my audience expects from me. And I know my audience and politically they're me five or 10 years ago. So I know if I came out of the gate and said, listen, white people, wise up, the stuff you need to be doing, that would just shut them down. And that's not what I wanted. So I started with a story. Um, and I also just always like to start with a story, but I don't have any stories about experiencing racial oppression, obviously, because I'm a white lady, I'm a cis woman, you know, I'm non-disabled, I'm not straight, but I present as pretty straight. And so I have almost all of the privileges short of being a man. <laughs> and so I didn't have a story that I could tell that directly related. So instead, I told a story about sitting in the bath with my niece, who was four years old at the time. And, you know, I described like swishing the bath water and, you know, the drip of the tap and, and how I felt. And in the story, my niece says, I'm going to marry daddy. And I say, well, by that logic, you could also marry mummy. And she says, no, there has to be a mummy and a daddy. And I explain, no, there can be a mummy and a mummy and a daddy and a daddy and a mummy and a gender non-binary person. You know, that there's all these different things. And then I said, as a queer person, I've been talking to the kids in my life about LGBT issues as long as they've been alive. I haven't been talking about race. I've realized that I need to be, here are some other things that I've realized. But I could just as equally have told a story, you know, use that story to talk about how you break down complex subjects and make them simple, how you relate to different people, how you change someone's mind about a very strongly held belief they have. You know, there's so many different messages I could have got out of that. And that story, like, no one's going to make a movie out of that story. You know, Angelina Jolie in Woman Explains Gayness to Her Niece. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would watch that movie, but I don't think anyone's going to make it. But do you see how it's just a scene? Yeah. It's just 
routine. And then if you're getting a message out of it, that's all you need. And so it's so simple. Just answer, what did it look like? How did you feel? That really sounds simple. What about stories that you have shared before? So let's say this bath scene story is actually a good one and you could reuse it. Do you do anything or advise people how they could collect their stories so that there's not this panic when I'm writing an email or I need to have a start of a blog post? Like you said, let's say a start of a blog post and I kind of, oh, where's my perfect story? And I just can't think of it. Yeah. So in an ideal world, you have a little, you have a little something on your phone or in a notebook, if you're analog and literally every time. And and I think when you're collecting ideas, it's about quantity, not quality, you know, like with brainstorming, you're just trying to come up with as many ideas as you can. And so have a little notebook. And then every time you think that something could be a story or could be an action scene, note it down. And one of the ways that you know, it could be a good story is if you have an extreme emotion and the extreme emotion could be, huh, well, fancy that, like that could be your emotion. It doesn't have to be like great sadness or great happiness. It could be like irritation. It could be an emotion about Laura Bell Gray. So Laura Bell Gray from Talking Shrimp, I think tells brilliant stories in her newsletter. And she told one recently, I'm blanking on exactly what happened, but it was basically someone being really annoying in line at the grocery store and how annoyed with them she got. That's the same story that came to my mind right now. There you go. There you go. Something that small and that's fine. And then you can just talk about, you know, you don't want to make yourself look bad. So you don't want to be like, and then I shoved them out the way and walked out. You know, what she did in this story was she kind of behaved badly. She kind of was really annoyed with this person. And then she's like, I would love to tell you that I went back and, you know, that I found compassion for them. But honestly, I couldn't in that moment. I can be kind of a, you know, one of those kind of people. But so having an extreme emotion, I think is usually or like having a strong emotion, let's say not extreme, is usually a sign. Visual images also, like sensory images. My friend Liz Scully has this amazing story about traveling when she was a kid and she was somewhere, I can't remember where exactly it was, but it was somewhere very hot. And then she walked into this grove and she was sweating and about 300 monarchs, butterflies, just landed on her and to drink her sweat. And just the visual of like, a small child with hundreds of butterflies landing on their, you know, her head and her face and her body is so powerful that that to me is, you know, one that's worth it. But it can just, you can just be a little bit moved by something and tell a story. And I think really one of the places where those action scenes comes in is, as I said, telling the story of, of something that your ideal client can relate to. And maybe, you know, I worked with someone recently who's an organizational kind of an organizational coach. And obviously she has not had the experience of being disorganized because she's an organizational coach. But what we did was we tried to figure out what are the emotions that her client is going through and when has she felt those emotions and then told a story about that. Because then again, it shows them like you're not a loser for feeling this and for thinking this. I think one of the things when I work with people on sales pages, we actually do the exercise where I take them into their body when they either in a place where their ideal client is now or when they can emotionally relate to where their ideal client is now. And we take, we, I say, imagine closing your eyes and how does it feel to be there? And, you know, what does it smell like? What does it sound like? Imagine opening your eyes, you know, what does it look like? And then how do you feel and where do you feel that in your body? And we go through all the possible does it have a temperature or a color or what can you compare it to? And then I say, what are you thinking? And we try and get their internal monologues when they're in that moment. And if you have a service-based business, almost always one of the things they're thinking is what the F is wrong with me. Because there's so much shame. When we have a service-based business, it's usually to solve a problem. And there's usually shame around having that problem. And I think, you know, in our culture, there's also some shame around like, oh, I had to hire someone to solve that problem. Oh yeah, I couldn't do it myself. 
yeah, I couldn't do it myself. So, you know, I should be able to do this myself, but I couldn't. And so when you can say that in your sales page, you're saying to them, it's okay. I'm not going to shame you. And also you're not the only person who thinks this because if I have bothered to get this on a sales page, I must think that other people also feel this way. Yeah. It's very interesting because, um, I was, as I said before I hit the record button on this podcast episode, I was struggling a little bit figuring out my business idea. Once I figured it out, I was like, yeah, okay, now I'm ready. And I was like, "Uh, working hard. And then my sales did not like materialize in the way that I was growing my list. And I was starting to think what's wrong with me? Because I had been a CEO for 10 years. I'd done sales before. Like, what is the F wrong with me? (laughs) And I realized I had to hire someone. I had to hire someone at least just to get that mindset block of of asking for the sale. And it was tiny tweaks. And once I saw it in front of me, it was like obvious. Yeah, yeah. But there was shame. There was shame because like, I'm highly educated. I have a master's degree in business. I have business experience. Why can I not figure this out? Totally, totally. And when you see that somebody else feels that way, it's so powerful. And I even like, there's people who, when I first started um, my business, I was so disorganized and all over the place and never getting anything done. I felt like I was working all the time, but achieving nothing. And, you know, I'd see all these people out there, oh, I made six figures, I made seven figures, you know. And I'd be like, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm such a failure. And then... I found somebody's website where they were like, basically, she just listed all the things that I think you, you work all day, but you get nothing done and you feel super disorganized. And, and this was someone who I just didn't really feel a connection to. And through her, I found my first ever coach, Jill Farmer from jillfarmercoaching.com. She's amazing. But I used to read this woman's email every single week because it made me think that maybe I wasn't a giant failure because she was speaking to people like me. So it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And that's so powerful so powerful and that's the stuff where you help people just like that lady helped me she never sold to me but she really helped me and if you are doing something you know if you're doing the business that you're doing not just because you want to make money but because you want to which of course you know let's face it you wouldn't be an entrepreneur if you were just in it for the money because it's much easier to go and work in finance and you know it's much a quicker route to making money unless Jonathan Fields always talks about how being an entrepreneur is like you have to face yourself every single day. It's like one of the biggest soul journeys you can go on. Anyway, and so you're doing it really from a place of service. You want to help people. And so why not write a sales page that both sells and really helps people? Mm, I love that. Absolutely love that. Marsha, it's been a pleasure. So we've already talked about your website. Yes, yes, Marsha.com. But you said you have some resources for my audience. Yeah, so I have a little, uh, depending on whether you're more of a reader or a listener, I have a couple of series with the basics of storytelling. Like I was saying, the basic rules, if you want to know what they are. And so one is a five-part blog series. All the blogs are super short. I do not write those. You know when people are like, write a 2,000-word blog post and spend eight weeks right researching it? And I used to panic and think I had to do that. And then I was like, hang on, I don't read those. <laughs> like, I don't have the time to read those. So they're very short blogs or I have this audio series that I did. Uh, It's called the Baby Walk Story Sessions because I would strap the baby to my back and then just go out and record a podcast. And so if you're more of an audio person, I'll link to basically to both of those so that you can go and have a listen and yeah, and then you can find some other resources and stuff on my site. But I'm going to put that up at yesyesmarsha.com forward slash Sigrun. Perfect. We'll put this on the show notes as well. So if you are on the go listening, uh, you just go to the number of this episode and you'll find the link to Marsha. 
and her resources. Thank you so much for joining me today, Marsha. It's been a pleasure and I hope we connect sooner next time. Yeah, me too, me too. That was so fun. Go to sim.com forward slash 304 where you will find links to Marsha Shandur and the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please share, subscribe and give the show a review on Apple Podcasts. See you in the next episode.